For those who are visiting with us today, we've been uh, journeying through the book of Joshua as we're discovering God's desired future for our church and for our lives. And so just to recap a little bit, um, everything was going quite well for the Israelites. They saw God performing these amazing uh, things as they successfully crossed over the flooded waters of the Jordan into the promised land of Canaan. And we saw that in chapters 3 and 4. They successfully saw the walls come down as they conquered the city of Jericho in chapter 6. And yes, due to some disobedience, of course, uh, they, they lost a battle in some of their lives when they tried to enter the city of Ai. But then they successfully conquered the city of Ai in chapter 8. There were successes, there were victories, and there was reason to rejoice. But again, it, it must be remembered that it is God who was doing these amazing things among the Israelites. These were all God's plans, and the people were simply called to follow the Lord's will as they entered into this promised land of Canaan. These were the Lord's victories. These were the Lord's successes. And there was much reason to celebrate God's faithfulness in their lives. And that's the reason in chapter 4 that the Israelites set up these rocks in their camp and to be reminded as every time they saw these rocks that they would be reminded of God's faithfulness and that the Lord does amazing things. But along with reasons to celebrate, there are also reasons to be on their guard. As we heard through the children's message this morning too, Satan is a deceiver. And Satan only allows so much victory. And he tries to get involved to hinder or prevent the plans of the Lord. So Satan sends in his troops. So this morning we read from Joshua chapter 9. And we'll hear how Satan lures the people of Israel using the nation and the Gibeonites. So before we do, let's come to God in prayer. Father God, you are faithful and you're awesome. You're full of victories. And we thank you for the victory of Jesus. And as we read this story this morning, may your spirit turn our eyes and our hearts toward your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, and our victory through Jesus. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Joshua 9, verses 1 to 27. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country and the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites and Amorites and Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They, sent, they went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We've come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? We're your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you and where do you come from? And they answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, 
Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new. But see how cracked they are. And our clothes and our sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out, and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephra, Beroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, We've given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live, so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. And they continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you, while actually you live near us? You're now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua, Your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from you, from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. We're now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the Israelites were following strict commands from the Lord. And some of these commands, you need to know, have came to them years earlier through Moses. And it's in Deuteronomy 20, actually, that the Israelites were given these sort of instructions about going to war in the promised land of Canaan. First, they were not to be afraid of anything because the Lord, their God, was always with them. You can go back to Deuteronomy 20, verse 1. It states it right there. It's God who gives them victory, Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. And they were reminded of this promise in, in this book of Joshua through the destruction of Jericho. God gives them victory. Furthermore, they also received clear instructions that with any distant cities outside the territory of Canaan, they were allowed to make an offer of peace. And if people accepted this offer of peace, then they would be servants of the Israelites. That comes from Deuteronomy 20 as well. But any nations within the promised land of Canaan, any nations in that promised land had to be completely destroyed. Already, that was given by God through Moses in Deuteronomy 20 as well, and continued to be affirmed through Joshua. Outside of nations, outside of Canaan, peace treaty is okay. Inside, no. Obedience to God means destruction. 
Israel was to follow these commands of God given through Moses. And Israel had already an impact on the surrounding nations. Nations were in fear of Israel's God. Some nations thinking that, well, you know what, they can take take on God, they can take on the Israelites, and they were preparing war against the Israelites. We read that in the first two verses of chapter 9. Other nations, such as the Gibeonites, knew that they could not fight against God. And so, these other nations and the Gibeonites, they thought they'd use a different strategy. And again, the Gibeonites must have been familiar with the laws that were given to Moses by God. Because Gibeonites used deception to prevent the Israelites from destroying them in the land of Canaan. The Gibeonites resorted to a ruse. They resorted to a trick, a deception. And they went with the premise that they're from outside of the land of Canaan. So the Gibeonites, they used old wineskins. They ensured they had moldy bread. They had worn out sandals and clothes. They were crafty. They went through a lot of work to make sure of this deception. So this is a similar word, actually. When the word ruse or deception or trick is used, it's a similar word that's used in Genesis 3, verse 1 as well. When the serpent enticed Eve to eat from the fruit of the tree, the serpent was crafty. The serpent resorted to a ruse. And that's how Satan works. Satan sometimes comes as a deceiving serpent, such as he did with Eve. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, we read these words, But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And then in the New Testament as well, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Satan sometimes comes as a devouring lion, where we read, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. At all times, we must be alert and put on the spiritual armor of God. You can read that in Paul's letter to Ephesians in chapter 6. So here we are, the Gibeonites, they told several lies. They went, again, through great lengths to verify these lies. They talked about being from a distant country, meaning that then Israel could enter into a peace agreement with them. They wouldn't be destroyed. The Gibeonites used strategy, the strategy of deception. They used a strategy of lying in their times of trouble. The Gibeonites duped the Israelites to help them get out of trouble. But the Israelites' mistake was not being duped by the lying Gibeonites. Israel's mistake, as we read in verse 14 of this chapter, the men of Israel sampled their provisions, okay, but they did not inquire of the Lord. The leaders of Israel based their decision on reason, what was presented before them. They believed the Gibeonites on account of their practical evidence, and they felt, well, obviously there's no need to take this to the Lord. Everything seemed logical. The people of Israel were walking by sight. They weren't walking by faith. And Israel was an enemy territory, and they did not consult God. In the children's message too, we are reminded that we too are in enemy territory, that the devil is real, and that he will use any method to trick God's people. As a council of Exeter Christian Reformed Church, we are discerning what is next for our church. And whether we embark on a new journey or even continue with the same things, we always need to inquire with God. 
because we are on God's mission. And we're to seek him and inquire of the Lord. So whether in times of failures or in times of success, the devil's going to take hold of whatever he can. And again, we too are at war. We're fighting against the world and it's pulling us. And we simply cannot always use our own reasoning. I mean, of course, God gives us reasoning, but we can't just jump to our own conclusions. We're called to seek the Lord and to seek his will. And it's difficult because we make several decisions in our lives. Some are like, where am I going to park my car? To who will I marry? And so when we go with reason, oh, so when we do, do we go with reason only or do we go with God? Always go with God. And it's not always easy. I mean, to be honest, you'll probably park your car wherever you want and likely not inquire of the Lord. But with decisions that will either impact you, impact others, impact your church, your community, we need to approach God. We're to seek God, seek his will. We hear that so often in the New Testament too. Seek first his kingdom. We're called to be proactive and already seeking God in advance of any decision-making. In advance, continue to ask the Holy Spirit to be part of our lives and our decision-making so that when, at times, when the time comes to make a decision, we will also know that we're called to inquire of the Lord. Lord, help me to inquire of you when I need to. That should be our prayer as well. And God gives us the Holy Spirit of Jesus. God gives us guidance and he gives us direction through his holy word. Not all the specific answers are clearly stated in the scriptures. Of course not. Where to park, who to marry, no. But through seeking him, we can discern what his will is. His good and holy and pleasing will. God gives us guidance and direction to his will through times of prayer. So through scripture, as, as we heard this morning too, we, yes, we read scripture, but we've got to know the scriptures. We've got to understand God's will. But we also need to come to him in prayer. Prayer is another important resource. In our programs, in our meetings, in our events, we need to come to God in prayer to ask for his blessing and for his wisdom and guidance and protection. Prayer is not only something that we take to God after the event, thanking God, but prayer is something that we take to God before the event, asking for his presence. When the Israelites did not inquire of the Lord beforehand, or why, rather, why the Israelites did not inquire of the Lord beforehand, it's not stated in this passage. But it seems obvious that they felt they had enough concrete evidence before them to make the correct decision. We'll go on what we know, what we think. We'll put God aside for now. Maybe they didn't feel that they needed to bother God about this issue. But people of God, let us not be deceived by not taking things to God. Through prayer and scripture, we're able to discern the Lord's will for our lives and for his church. 
God also, again, God also gives us promptings through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will give us promptings also through other people that he sends around us. Community is important. Discerning God's will, it's not easy work. But listening to the Holy Spirit, being part of the community of saints, that's another amazing and powerful resource that God gives to us. We're part of a community. Let's not take that for granted. Following God's will doesn't mean that we'll never have that nervous feeling in the pit of our stomachs. Following God's will does not mean that there's not going to be issues or problems to deal with. But following God's will does mean that when there are things that are beyond our control, God is in control. He's always in control. And that can give us peace in our decision-making process. And so, just like Israel, there's going to be times that we're going to be duped. There's going to be times that we fail to seek the Lord, and then just like Israel, we'll come to realize that mistake. It'll become evident. Notice from verse 16 that within three days, the Israelites came to know that they made the wrong decision. They realized that they'd been tricked by the Gibeonites, which only lived 40 kilometers away from Gilgal. Again, sooner or later, deceit is found out. Sooner or later, mistakes surface. So it was too late here to reverse Israel's incorrect decision because God's name was at stake. Israel made an oath. They made an oath with the Gibeonites, and they made an oath before God. There was no going back on this oath. Joshua responded, actually, in a redeeming and gracious way. They upheld the oath. They upheld the honor of the Lord. Our God is a God of grace. The Israelites made a wrong choice of believing and sparing the Gibeonites. And yet, God awarded Israel's faithfulness of not going against the oath. As verse 23 states, where Joshua said to the Gibeonites, you're now under a curse. And the Gibeonites, they weren't destroyed either. The Gibeonites were actually successful somewhat with their deception because their goal was peace. Their goal was not to be destroyed. Now, through the peace treaty, they were also hoping to be this free nation. That didn't happen because they became slaves for the Israelites. They became woodcutters and water carriers, and, but they were no longer a threat to the Israelites. So the curse for the Gibeonites of slavery turned into a blessing for the Israelites. They had servants. You know, God's going to continue to use the bad. And he's going to continue to use the bad for his good. And in chapter 10, we again hear about the Gibeonites. Next, next chapter 10, we'll, we'll read that it was Gibeon that God worked a miracle with the sun and the moon to stand still. In the story of Nehemiah, as this is centuries later, they, in Nehemiah, they're re rebuilding the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. And it was the Gibeonites who helped them to rebuild. They were still around. They were still the servants. God turned the wrong choice of the Israelites to work according to his plans and to his glory. God can turn our mistakes into his good 
Now, I have to be honest. I was initially uh, a little bit ticked off with this passage, knowing that Israel kept the oath, despite that the people of Gibeon falsely entered into this oath. I would have thought that any deception, either from any party, would exempt both parties from honoring the oath. I would have thought, yeah, here we have it. The Gibeonites, Gibeonites say, reneged on their word. So Israel, they should destroy all of them. I was thinking, not too gracious, of course. Israel should smite these people of Gibeon. But that didn't happen. Instead, what did happen was grace and redemption. Grace and redemption, even though they both, well, one party messed up because the other one tricked them. And God has dealt with us in that same way, with grace and redemption. People, we default on his covenant over and over, and he continues to extend his love to us. God continues to extend his grace to us, and he doesn't smite us. We constantly make mistakes, and God redeems those mistakes. We are sinners, but it is through God's awesome redemptive plans that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place. Through scripture, we receive God's promise and assurance that our mistakes are covered. And yes, we receive punishment for breaking our oath to God. And so there is punishment. But we don't even pay for our own punishment. We should be slaves to sin, but we're not slaves to sin. We have freedom through Jesus Christ. Paul's letter in the New Testament in Ephesians 2, we read how that we are called objects of wrath. But because of God's great love for us and his free gift of grace, he has made us alive through Christ. Jesus died so that we can live. John 3.16, we read that God so loved his people that God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. People, God, we can praise God for his redeeming love. We are set free despite our sins and despite any temptations from the devil. God's got us in his hands. He is in control. Now, the principle of this story in Joshua is not to mess up as much as you can because God's going to fix it to his benefit anyways. The point is that when we do mess up or when we do get duped by the devil and by his deceptive lies, the Lord is watching over us. The Lord protects us. God is in control of everything. He's in control of our good decisions. He's in control of our bad decisions. This passage is God providing for his people again. It's what we refer to as God's providence, his providing care. It's God's watch, his care, his control over his world and over his people. We make mistakes, but the Lord will continue to use us to continue to make his plans come to fruition. And the Lord has redeemed those mistakes through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. The Lord has redeemed his people through the body and blood of Jesus. Next week, folks, we celebrate. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate by coming to the table. We celebrate and we take this week to inquire of our Lord. 
to prepare our hearts for this feast. We talk about what does this mean for us? What does it mean for our family? What does it mean for our church to be able to celebrate this? And through that, may we remember all that God has done for us through the body and blood of Jesus. May we remember in faith, hope, and love. And may we respond with always coming to the Lord, reading his word and obeying his will, coming to God in prayer, recognizing that the Holy Spirit is working in us. So as we continue discovering God's direction for our church in this community, let us continue to strive to follow the Lord's leading. Let us continue to be called to inquire things of the Lord. To ask the Lord, yes, for his blessing and for his leading. Of course, thanking him at all times too. But also knowing that when we make mistakes, we can count on God redeeming that mistake through his amazing grace. Don't let the devil make us afraid. Afraid that we choose to not move forward because we'd rather focus on fear. Let's focus on God's grace Let's focus on his amazing and redeeming love for all his people. So people of God, accept God's grace today and rejoice in God's amazing grace through celebrating this freedom in our lives on account of Jesus. And together we say, amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you recognizing, yes, there is sin in this world. We're fully aware that the devil is at work and we are so often unaware of his tricks and deceptive ways. So Lord, forgive us for when we fail. Forgive us for when we make mistakes and when we are duped by the deceiver. Forgive us when we intentionally do things against your will as well. Restore us and sanctify us. Work in us through the power of your Holy Spirit to not be tempted by Satan. Work in us to follow you in your will and to lead lives that are holy, that are pleasing to you. Help us to find the time to spend in prayer and in scripture reading and through listening to your people and through your spirit. And we thank you for your redeeming love and power through your son, Jesus Christ. And may we not take for granted all that you have done for us through your son, our savior. And may we look forward to celebrating this through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper next week. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.